Okay, today we'll be looking at Ephesians 5, not the whole chapter. I want you to think about the mystery of marriage today. The mystery of marriage. Do you realize marriage, an earthly marriage, points to something bigger and more important than the physical, temporary relationship? So we're going to have a read. Just read the scripture to start with, in verse, starting in verse 22. Ephesians 5, verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Notice your text mentions the word mystery. So we want to define what this mystery is. What is the mystery of marriage? Well, it's simply this. Human marriage points to something that's better and longer lasting. Human marriage is based on another greater marriage, and it was designed by God, it was designed in heaven, and it was designed even before creation. It is the marriage of Christ to his bride, which the Bible calls the church. I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, what he says in verses 28 and 29. Particularly focus on verse 28 here, it says that, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. What he says there is that a husband's love for his wife is like loving himself. (laughs) Why? Well, it's because she is like his own body, the Bible says. So for you guys who are married, I've got good news for you. God tells you to love your wife, but there's, there's this wonderful relationship that goes on. When you love your spouse, God says you're basically loving yourself. <laughs> Amazing thing, isn't it? And notice Christ's love for the church is like loving himself. Because why is that? We're, we're a part of the body. Believers are a part of his body. And so there's a comparison here, isn't there? A husband's oneness with his wife here is like Christ's oneness with his church. Now, you might notice in verse 31, there's quotation marks there in your Bible. I hope you have those. And when you see that, that's probably because it's pointing to an Old Testament passage. And in verse 31, it's actually quoting 
Genesis 2, verse 22, which says this, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In other words, okay, a man's love to his wife is like love to himself. And the reason is because God designed it that way. God designed marriage so that there would be this one flesh union that would be created through the covenant of marriage. Uh, well, I'll just give you an example. Some of you know I'm married. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary. Praise God for that. And if Lori and I are one flesh, which we are because of the covenant of marriage, then there's this cool relationship the Bible talks about. My love to my spouse is a love to me. Now, that shouldn't be the reason for loving a spouse, but that's the way it works out here, doesn't it? And now that much, of course, wasn't a mystery in the Old Testament. God said it in the very beginning. So that much was was revealed here in the text of Genesis. It says that husband and wife are one flesh. Yet Paul says here in verse 32 in your text that this mystery is great. So what is he talking about? What is this mystery? Well, he goes on to define it. Paul says, I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Christ and the church. So the mystery was that human marriage is a picture of something longer lasting and better than even the earthly relationship. It's a picture of the union of Jesus with his bride. So the new perspective then on this mystery is that the church is the body of Christ. Therefore, she, the church, is the wife of Christ. So I want to encourage us today in thinking about this wonderful relationship. What does it mean to be the wife of Christ? All right. Now there's a lot of things, guys, that I could preach to you today about being a husband. Ladies, there's things here we could talk about you being a wife. Okay, All that stuff is good, and, and it's in the text. But there's something bigger longer-lasting, and even more important than our earthly relationships going on here. See, in heaven, you're not married. Okay, So when you die, if you're a believer, you're going to go to heaven. The Bible says, absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then, then there's this long-lasting, never-ending relationship. Because the Bible says you're his wife. And so if you want to know who we are as the bride, the body of Christ, and we want to know what that means to be the church and to live like the church, then we need to come to passages like this in the Bible. Learn from this passage what it means to be the wife of Christ. So guys, ladies, where the shoe fits, you can wear it. There's much application to be drawn from this, but we're not really going to look at the application of of us as a spouse today. But if you're a Christian then the Bible says you are the wife of Christ. The Bible says you are part of the bride of Christ, part of that body. And so what does that mean to have Christ as your husband? Well, Scripture reveals at least five things it means for us to be the wife of Christ. Okay, Number one. Now, these are going to go against a lot of things you've, you probably think of earthly marriage. But look at this one. First of all, it, Christ loved his bride before she was even attractive. 
Now, guys, those of you who are, who are married or interested in marriage, is that what we typically do? Do we typically go and look for some ugly woman to marry? No, that's not usually what happens. That's certainly not what I tried to do. I don't know any guys who's ever really tried to do that. But in verse 25, it's interesting. Notice the order. There's a very interesting order here in verse 25, because it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's very important to notice the order, because notice what comes first. Christ loved. And then that loved moved him, caused him to do something. It caused him to do what? To give himself up. And then verse 26 says the purpose of the love. What is it? He wanted to sanctify. He wanted to cleanse this woman. And then verse 27 shows the effect of that sanctifying love then was to get rid of the beauty. No, that's not what it says, verse 27. He wanted to get rid of all the ugly spots, get rid of all those wrinkles, get rid of the the, the stuff that made her ugly. All the things that as we grow older... You women, as you grow older, it's those things that most of us want to try to stop happening, right? I mean, we've got all kinds of things out there to try to help us do that, right? But notice, this is how we were. We had spots and wrinkles, and he made the church beautiful. He did. That love came before the beauty. In other words, Christ did not choose his wife the way we often choose a wife as men. He didn't look for some attractive woman. He didn't go look for some very intelligent woman. He didn't even look for a faithful woman. None of those things existed in his bride. He chose an unlikely woman. And then what he did is he set out to make this unlikely, unfaithful, ugly, unintelligent woman attractive, wise, and faithful. And he did it at his own cost, which was his life. His love for the church didn't begin as some love, as admiration. His love for his bride was not some response to beauty that wasn't so-called, you know what, maybe this is truly love at first sight. Think about it. (laughs) Even before he saw her, it says. Because there was no beauty. We had no beauty. So his first love for us was something that was free. It was unconditional. It's the love of unconditional choice, or what Ephesians 1 calls election. Look at here. I put it on the screen here for you. This is talking about Jesus in Ephesians 1.4. He chose us, the church, his bride, his wife, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So again, notice what the order here. What comes first? We didn't even exist We didn't even exist. It's before the foundation of the world. Before he ever created the universe, Jesus set his affections on his bride. So we're not chosen because he could see we were holy. No, notice he chose the church because he planned to make us holy. We've been loved with this love of unconditional regeneration that's described in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Again, it's on the screen here. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. 
just meditate on that for a while, okay? It'll blow you away. That's amazing. God chose a dead woman to be his son's wife. Not what I would have chosen. A dead woman. Dead women do not begin by fulfilling conditions, do they? They begin by being raised from the dead, being born again, as Jesus said in John 3. And that's what happened to every member of the body of Christ. Before we could even look pretty, before we could even sound like we're intelligent or even be faithful, God's electing love chose us, regenerated us, made us alive, raised us from the dead. It's a beautiful picture. Now just ponder this for a moment, okay? God's desire for my wife is that she would be strengthened by my love. The love that that comes from me, it, it should be a peculiar, a unique, if you will, a unique love for her that is different from the love that I have from for all the other women in the world. Right? I hope you agree with that. Right? The love I have for my wife should be different from the love I have for all of my sisters in Christ around the world. It should be unique, peculiar to her. Different from that general love that men have for other women in the world. And so the love of a man for his wife is a special covenant love. It's shared with nobody else except for that one unique person. But one of the great tragedies, though, you think about this, in relation to the church, though, is today Christians have learned to enjoy a love from God that isn't any more precious than that general love that, that, that any man might have for any other person in the world. And so for many years, the church has just kind of slipped farther and farther away from this glorious truth here, that the wife of Jesus Christ is loved with a special, unique love that he has for no one else. It's a covenant love. It's different from God's love for the world. Yes, does God love the world? Absolutely. You know John 3.16, I hope. God loved the world. That's what it says. God gave his only son that whoever believes in Jesus wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. That's a general love. But it's, it's a very sad day when uh, any wife on planet Earth would only know that kind of general love. Hopefully wives know a special, unique love that their husband doesn't share with any other woman. And so the marriage, that's, that's the way it is between Christ and his wife, in a way. The marriage between Christ and his wife is, is weak to the degree that she only feels loved with a general love. So the first thing here, it means then, for the church to be the wife of Christ is that Christ loved us before we were even attractive. He loved us, and He still loves us with this distinguishing covenant love. Number two, what does it mean to be the wife of Christ? If you're a believer today, you are a, you are a wife of Christ. Okay, That goes for you guys too, by the way. I know that sounds really weird, doesn't it? To think of you as a wife, but... You, that's what the Bible describes us as if you're a believer. So the second thing it means to be the wife of Christ then is that Christ gave himself for his wife, the church. Again, look at verse 25. The end of verse 25 in particular says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
he gave himself up for his wife. So again, notice Christ did not win his wife the way many men do today. It says Jesus paid a dowry. Well, we don't typically do that today, but they, they often did in olden days, right? Men would pay a dowry, a, a, some set piece of money or whatever it might be, to get a woman. And, and in this case, Jesus paid a dowry. And notice what it was. It was his life. So to be the wife of Christ here means to be loved with a self-sacrificing love. And, and in this case, it is so self-sacrificing, Jesus gave his very life. He died for believers. By the way, it was while we were helpless, sinful, ungodly enemies. Again, not attractive. Because Romans 5.8 says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, let me put it this way to you. Christ didn't simply die for some unworthy woman. He didn't just simply die for someone who was reluctant to get married. No. He died for a woman who found him repulsive, disgusting, and revolting. And he married that woman. How many of you guys would do that? How many of you guys would marry a woman who found you disgusting, revolting, and repulsive? That's what Jesus did. And don't miss the force of this, because Paul says here, verse 25, Christ gave himself for the church. In other words, he died. He, he had the church especially in view when he died. And it was for her, uniquely for her, especially for her that he died. That's powerful when you think about that. The powerful saving effects of the cross were then directed to his fiancée, who not only was unattractive to anybody, but who found Christ repulsive. She found Christ repulsive, didn't have any intention of marrying Jesus Christ, but Jesus set his affection on this woman anyway. He specifically gave his life for her. And that's what it means to be the wife of Christ. Number three, think about this. What does it mean to be the wife of Christ? It means being cleansed by Jesus from the guilt of sin. Our greatest problem we have is our sin. And that's what Jesus does here. He deals with our sin. When he gave himself up for look at verse 26, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, for what purpose? Verse 27 starts with a so. Gives you the purpose that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so, if you're one of these people who somehow has to be flattered in order to feel good, this is not one of those Bible passages for you. Okay, the marriage between Christ and his wife is not going to make you feel good. At least not at first. It's a highly unflattering picture here, isn't it? Because Christ took someone who, need, who was dirty, who needed to be bathed in order to get married, he bathed her. Why? Because we're unattractive. We weren't beautiful. We were enemies, not friends of God. We were dirty with the guilt of sin all over us and inside us. And he bathed the outside and the inside. And he chose us. He died for us. The Bible says he raised us to life and cleansed us. And he took away that filth, took away the guilt 
He bathed us and made us clean before a holy God. It's a beautiful picture. And that's kind of the picture that happens when someone is baptized. So the water of baptism is a a representation, if you will, of that spiritual washing that should have already taken place in that believer's life. Notice the cleansing from sin here in verse 26. Where is it coming from? Verse 26. It's coming from the self-sacrifice of Christ that's mentioned in verse 25. And that's the way it is with baptism. It represents a dying with Christ. So that's why if, you, if you've been baptized, hopefully the person who baptized you said, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Hopefully they said something like that. So immersion in water provides the perfect symbolic combination where you die with Christ, but you are raised also with Christ in his power. I love what 1 John 1 verse 7 says. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses from all sin. So baptism represents a burial as well as a bath because that burial, if you will, is the bath. Think of it that way. So you're cleansed. Number four. Let's think of another point here, what it means to be the wife of Christ. It means you're being made progressively holy. You are. None of you have arrived. It's a a progressive thing. And so what does it mean? What what is progressive holiness? Okay. Because verse 27 talks about this progressive holiness. He's going to present you to himself in splendor. But you're not totally there yet. There's this process going on where you're being made holy and without blemish. So what is progressive holiness? It means to be holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle. Verse 27 talks about that. It means, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, it's the idea of you're putting off, you're abstaining from sin. But Titus 2 talks about you're going for good deeds as well. So it's you put off, you put on. Something has to be in its place. So the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, the will of God is your sanctification. Titus 2 talks about we're to be zealous for good works. That's why Jesus died for you, so that you would be zealous. And he saved you so you'd be zealous for good works. Hebrews talks about that we're being sanctified. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But when we see him, the Bible says, we will be made like him, though. So it's a progressive sanctification where you're being set apart from your sin unto God. What's the basis of this progressive holiness? Well, according to Titus 2, it's Christ's death. Because Titus 2 says that Jesus gave himself that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. Is it necessary for this to happen in our lives? Is it necessary? Absolutely. Hebrews 12 mentions that you are to pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. My friend, do you want to see the Lord? One day when you die, do you want to see Jesus Christ in all His glory and splendor? Pursue holiness. That's what Hebrews 12 says. Now how is this even going to happen? Because you can't do it in your own strength. So who's the agent? Well, 2 Thessalonians 2 says it's the Holy Spirit. It mentions there sanctification by the Spirit. 
But yet, 2 Corinthians 7 also says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. So which is it? (laughs) Well, it's both. It's a both and. The Holy Spirit's the one who works this holiness and sanctification in you. Without him, we'd be hopeless. What are the means of it? John 17, Jesus said this, it's the word. Jesus was praying in John 17. He said, sanctify them, his disciples, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. But it's also faith, according to Acts 26. Jesus said that you're sanctified by faith in me. Paul was quoting Jesus there. That's how it happens. Jesus is doing this work for his wife, the church. Number five, last one. Okay, What does it mean to be the wife of Christ? It means that ultimately, one day, you'll be glorified. You'll be finally presented to Christ as his perfected wife. Wow. By the way, does this mean that somehow Christ is deficient? Does this mean that Christ is some lonely bachelor who needs you? Is that what that means? Uh, There are people who teach that sort of rubbish. Christ is lonely. He's deficient. He's lacking in something. He needs a wife. So he's going to go get the the worst-looking thing out there, and he's going to make her beautiful. No, that's not at all what's going on. In fact, his saving work is, is to fit us to reveal him, to enjoy him forever. And that, it, that is a, a glorious truth that Jesus actually rejoices in because it brings him glory and honor. I want to end with a wonderful picture of God's marriage to his people. And in this context in Ezekiel 16, please turn to Ezekiel 16. It's in your Old Testament. So if you can find the prophet section of your Bible, go past Jeremiah Lamentations, you'll find Ezekiel 16. The context is Ezekiel's picture of God's marriage to his people, Israel. But I want to bring this message to a close by giving you what's, in my opinion, one of the most graphic biblical pictures of God's marriage to his people. And it's found right here in Ezekiel 16. And in this particular text here, I think God wants to see a picture of something bigger and better. It's a picture, if you will, of God's Christ marriage to his church. Very graphic, but have a read of this. Uh, Follow along in your Bible as I read, starting in verse 3. Ezekiel 16, verse 3. Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, For you were abhorred on the day that you were born. When I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, Live! I said to you in your blood, Live! I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. 
Your breasts were formed, your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. You can go on and read about that. And then the very next chapter talks about how Israel responded to God's love. It's a sad picture. But that's what it means to be the wife of Christ. Do you see that? What it means to be the wife of Christ is that we were cast out. We were covered in blood. We were dirty, disgusting, literally, as it talks about here, good as dead. Then Jesus walks by here, doesn't he? He stops, looks at this disgusting, filthy, aborted thing that's as good as dead, and he says, he said to his wife, My wife, live! My beloved, my chosen one, live! Then Jesus comes again when she's grown, covers her nakedness, washes her filth away, makes a marriage covenant with her, beautifies her, prepares her, presents her to himself in glory. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? So let me just kind of summarize it this way for you. The church is the body of Christ. And because the church is is the body of Christ, that makes her the wife of Christ. And being the wife of Christ then means being loved by Jesus Christ, even before we were even attractive. It means being loved with a self-sacrificing love. It means He chose us. It means He raised us. It means He cleansed us. And because of all of those blessings, and certainly more we could even talk about, Jesus is then worthy of all of our praise and honor and glory that we can give to Him for now as well as forever. So, My friend, are you looking forward to that day? Are you? Do you understand who you are in Christ? Your identity in Christ makes all the difference in this life and the next. And so, my friend, please understand, if you don't know who you are in Christ, today can be the day where where you come to know who you are in Christ. If you don't know Him, today is the day of your salvation, my friend. Those of you who are believers, you know what it means to be in Christ, you know what it means to be the wife of Christ, then I encourage you, exhort you to live like who you really are. Know that. And may that encourage you as you look forward to His coming.